Blog Talk Radio. partner happy friday i'm excited to talk some giants baseball with you as uh, like you said we haven't done it in a couple of weeks so i'm ready to wet my appetite over here and get it going so i have a lot of baseball stuff that crammed away that we know no one else cares about but you and i and our fellow listeners so it should be a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i've i've been away in the last couple of weeks at texas and it's just so extremely hard to to keep track i uh of the giants and what I know, I know that they lost two heartening games to the Strohs. What, what was that like? Did you see any of those games, or how? how did yeah, that I was actually, at, I was actually at the Monday game where we blew the lead in the ninth inning. We had two outs. Um, <laughs> I think we walked a guy to put. Yeah, we were up two nothing. Oh, it was it was brutal, Mike. Um, just to see. I mean, it was hilarious too because we played the Astros and going in. Um, actually, I went with one of the little kids I coach, a little seven year old, his favorite player is Altuve. So his mom bought his tickets a long time ago, but and then Altuve was out, Correa was out, Springer was out. Um, so like three of their, you know, top offensive stars were not playing. And that was the only reason I gave the Giants a shot to win. And for, you know, eight and two thirds, I think we were winning, right? We, we had the two nothing lead and we were doing fantastic and we we're working it, working it. And then boom, adios ball. Uh, I think it was Marwin Gonzalez hit a three run bomb. And that ball was just, absolutely destroyed my he his oh it was one nothing i'm sorry so it was it was one nothing and then yeah he had a three-run bomb just oh that was heartbreaking and that was i believe um uh, it was like one of the first uh, I, I don't know i think it was like the first home run allowed that year by i think it was will smith uh it was his first home run allowed so or something like it was something crazy like that but anyway that, that was really uh, disheartening and then yeah mike we lost the next one same thing i lost it late in the game and then we uh, split four with the Pirates. We took two, lost two. Uh, that was kind of an ugly series. And then we had a chance to take the Dodgers, Mike, but we couldn't pull it off in extra innings uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so, I mean, a whole lot has happened, Mike, but a whole lot hasn't happened because guess what? In our last 10, we're 5-5, five and five, and overall in the season, we're 61-61. and 61. So we are exactly what we thought we are. We are a 500 team. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of hard to get away from that. I mean, we'll, we'll be up two games over 500 and everything's looking great and then they'll lose five in a row uh, or something to that effect and we have to climb back up win three in a row we, we're looking great looking strong and then you know there we go again and it's just it's just that 500 we just can't get away from it we can't get more than two or three games over 500 without it just disappearing yeah, and it's frustrating, too, because, like I always mention on every single podcast, I'm a bitter little Giants fan. We have the second-highest payroll, or at least at the beginning of the year. We have the second-highest payroll in all of baseball. All right, so the team that has the first-highest payroll, the Red Sox, they are 86-36, and 36, Mike. So they are 50 games above 500, and they are hands down the best team in baseball by, what, like 12 games, 9 games? Or, yeah, about, about yeah. 10.5 game lead on the Yankees. The Giants, meanwhile, we are 61-61, and 61, and we are six games out of first place and behind a bunch of teams for the wild card race. So, uh, I mean, it, it looks good when the Giants put together a couple of games. Uh, you know, against the Dodgers, they win a couple and they do well. But then you just got to be realistic. you got to pass up so many other teams. I think there's one, 
two, three, four, five, six. There's six other teams we got to compete with that are either above us or tied with us for the same record, you know, for the wild card. You know, that's just – those aren't good odds. No, no. When you're banking on trying to get a, a seat with the wild card, and and it's not even like the the first seat of the wild card. It's the second seat at the yeah, table. Exactly. It, 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 it's almost impossible. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see. We This, uh, you know, we still have the Mets and then the Reds this week. So, I mean. Yeah, exactly, we'll, partner. I was going to. I was going to say, partner, you bring up a good point. So we have a, a lot of winnable games coming up. We're playing two last-place teams and a fourth-place team. So we have three with the Reds. Granted, it is a road trip, so we will be in Cincinnati. So that's, you know, always – maybe it's a place our offense can get going. Uh, we are, you know, we, are, we don't have Derek Rodriguez tonight starting, which we'll get into later because that just absolutely got me livid. But anyway, we don't have Derek Rodriguez starting tonight, so we all – we know we will need some runs. So if these, you know, next three games we get some runs in Cincinnati's little, you know – Freaking sandbox of a field where it's just ridiculously tiny. Uh, and then we have, uh, let's see, we got four against the Mets in New York. Uh, those are definitely should be winnable games as long as we don't face DeGrom, um, which we probably will. And yeah. then we have three against the Rangers. So those right there, I think that as I'm on a mathematician, those are 10 games. I mean, in those 10 games against those, you know, middling teams, if the Giants want to be real, they probably have to win at least seven. They've got at least seven and three if we want to stay, you know, after this little. Uh, ten game stretch if we want to stay alive in the playoff aspirations. Yeah, and I was thinking eight and two, but I'll take I'll take seven or three for sure. Hey, I uh, obviously well, the hardest. I was like, oh yeah, the the I think the hardest part about all that too is the fact that they're playing on the road, and what are they yeah. fourteen games, fifteen games under five hundred on the road or some crazy number like that. Let me uh, let me check it. We on the road. We are Lord have mercy. Yeah, we're eight under, so we're twenty-seven to thirty-five on the road. So, so not uh, compared to thirty-four and twenty-six. Yeah, I thought I think they got a little better then. Cause, yeah, I definitely thought they'd be way worse as well. But yeah, it's okay. Wow, you look at a lot of these teams. So we have the best. We have the best home record in the National League West. But obviously, it doesn't matter because you split eighty-one games on the road and at home. <laughs> Well, at least we took two or three against the Dodgers, uh, so that that's yeah. something, I guess, to start. Yeah, exactly. And we took advantage of them. I think they had before yes, uh, before Wednesday's uh, what's it called uh, extra inning victory uh, with the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers had lost five in a row at that point, so they really were sliding. So the Giants were able to take advantage of a good situation and gain a little bit of ground on them. You know, obviously not not enough ground. We're still four back of them, but still, you know, it's something to something to kind of, you know, hang your cap on and get a little bit of momentum going into these, uh, you know, matchups with these crappier teams. Not that, you know, all these professionals aren't good players, but just, you know, the fact that these guys aren't the Dodgers. Now, speaking of the uh, the Dodgers um, and Derek Rodriguez, let's recap what happened and what what the hell what, – what's your – Say your take being a baseball player yourself. What, what was your take about that whole thing? The whole fight, um, unnecessary thing. So Puig, from yeah, from what I understand, partner Puig had been um, you know kind of bitching back and forth to the umpire about every call, um, and I think catchers after a while get a little fed up with that. So I'm not saying that Hundley was in the right, but I do believe that Hundley uh, kind of snapped back after the last one. Um, and the thing was too, it's funny because Puig fouled it straight back. And then he kind of tossed his bat up and caught it, like, in disgust. Like, you know, it's kind of the, oh, I'm better than that. I should hit that ball 500 feet. So I think it was a combination of Puig complaining nonstop and then not really showing up the pitcher, but the way he tossed his bat was kind of disrespectful. So I believe that Hunley then was able to say something, and then Puig got physical and started, you know, kind of throwing those little slaps at him. And then the, one of the base coaches for the Dodgers gets in there and holds Hunley back while Puig slapped him, which I thought was total uh, horse crap, if you ask me. Um, but it, it was just a bizarre thing. But what happened, Mike, that really sucked is that it was kind of like a la Strickland and Harper, you know, when Michael Morse got just destroyed uh, by by uh, Samarja and he never was able to play again. Uh, you know, hopefully it's not as bad for Derek Rodriguez. But Derek Rodriguez is one of the first people out on the field, and he ended up pulling his hamstring. He had a grade one strain, so that's the lightest of them all, and he's on the 10-day DL. But, you know, to lose his 6-1 and one record in 2.25 ERA in 14 games, I mean, that guy, you can make an argument that he's been our best, most consistent pitcher all year, uh, you know, with all due respect to Madison Bumgarner. 
Yeah, and it, with ten games, you're looking at maybe two or three starts, and he was such such a key component he, because you know we don't have Cueto, we never really had Smarza, and now what are we stuck with? Chris Kelly, whose guy's been a veteran kick around for the last ten years, so the trade off isn't very good on this situation at all. No, Mike, and you bring up a good point without having Samarja and Cueto. Those guys were our stud right-handers, you know what I mean? So you like to have balance in your pitching rotation where you could keep it mixing it up. You know what I mean? You have a lefty here, then a righty that day. So if our platoon guys, you know, they're not able to get momentum, they're not able to get a bunch of reps in a row. They have to sit one game and play the next game and sit one game. Now where the Giants seem to have, you know, more lefties, you know, it seems like we have a lot of lefty options um, that just seem to be our best pitchers. We have to go through with it, but obviously – there are many more right-handed hitters in Major League Baseball, uh, just natural to be more righty, right, or right-handed dominant. So it kind of puts us at a disadvantage uh, a lot of times when, you know, other teams would have a right-handed arm to go to to put the other team at a disadvantage. Exactly. And, I mean, it's kind of second nature now, you know, because the guy's hurt and everything. But do you think this ruins his chance to be rookie of the year or, or is he still in the running? You know what? I still think he's, he has a chance to be in the running. Um, I wish the Giants had given him a few more wins because I know this is really stupid. I hate this. I hate the win stats. And Jacob DeGrom this year for the Mets, I think he's like 7-7 seven and seven with a two-point-something ERA. It just shows how stupid wins are. But the win stat does sway voters, unfortunately. It's kind of like the home run stat, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, okay, if you have a gaudy, you know, 40 home runs, we'll overlook the fact that you're batting 200. You know, if you have, you know, 14 or 15 wins, we'll overlook the fact that your ERA is sitting, you know, 3.8 or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, D-Rod's sitting at 6-1, and one, so that means he's had uh, seven decisions and 12 starts. He had five starts where we didn't, weren't able to, you know, give him the decision. Uh, man, I, I want to say he still has a chance, but it really might it have to be – he makes a huge push down the end, and the Giants also make a huge push simultaneously so that he's, A, cast in the national spotlight, so maybe there's more highlights of the Giants as they track down, you know, as they try to track down the wild card spot, or there's, you know, more marquee matchups where the Giants are getting to play on national television because, you know, a lot of teams on the West Coast don't get to, get to be watched by the East Coast voters. And that's one thing I never really realized until I got older, that, you know, the East Coast, these people aren't going to stay at, at, you know, watch a game that starts at 10 o'clock or 10.15 their time. And, you know, God knows how long it goes, you know, for instance, in some of these West Coast games, uh, like the Dodgers and Giants that went, what, 14-plus innings or so and just kept going. Um, right. You know, things like that. There's a lot of voters on the East Coast, and they're going to have a bias. So you have to um, always keep that in mind, I think, when you're winning. Well, because as a West Coast fan, uh, a lot of times, and I kind of get butthurt that ESPN's always so hyped up on, you know, Boston. They're so hyped up on New York, and they're so hyped up on, you know, different, you know, when Miami, when, uh, you know, LeBron was in Miami. Just different things like that. They're very East Coast dominant, it seems, uh, from a spoiled West Coast sports fan and myself. Uh, so it is tough, I think, to get voters and to get uh, the recognition and the, the viewership that all the other players in the Midwest or in the East Coast get. Yeah, and that that's very true. That's it. That's a, fantastic point is how how much are the east coast actually watching the west coast and you already have to overcome the biases of of those east coast teams now if if you had to choose a rookie of the year uh, would Derek rodriguez be your your choice or do you see someone that is a clear favorite um, well, uh, it's tough, too. The, uh, who's the guy, Acuna? Um, he is a stud. Uh, he, the guy in the uh, Braves. Oh, by the way, real quick, Mike, uh, before I get uh, too too far of that, the guy that uh, got, who was it? It was Acuna. He got just destroyed by the Marlins pitcher. I thought that was absolute horse crap. Uh, I know he flipped his bat the day before. Uh, but man, oh man, that was just that was just something I didn't want to see. Uh, just drilled him in the elbow, and when you're throwing 90, I think it's 97.5 to the elbow. When you throw that fast, uh, man, that's just dangerous. You got to be very careful of that. Uh, but Mike, so I'm gonna take someone. I think someone on the NL East. So whether it's the Kuna guy on the um, on the Braves or that young man Juan Soto on the Washington Nationals, 19 year old. Uh, I think right now in 74 games, I just pulled up his stats. He has 15 homers. He's batting 301. 
Uh, and you know, he's just absolutely, they call him the Childish Bambino. So they're mixing the Great Bambino and Childish Gambino in the, in the nickname. So you got to like that. But, um, yeah, the top options right now that I see are uh, Acuna Jr. on the um, Braves, our man Derek Rodriguez, Brian Anderson on Miami, and then Jack Flaherty on the Cardinals. So I think Acuna and Flaherty have a better chance because they'll be, you know, since they're on the Braves and the Cardinals, respectively, they'll have a better chance of getting more recognition at the end. But I do see Derek Rodriguez as a um, pretty close uh, pretty close, you know, third option, I think, behind Acuna and Soto. But I think, in my opinion, Juan Soto wins the National League Rookie of the Year. Well, it's good to have a player in the running regardless. So it, oh, especially coming from, you know, nowhere land. I mean, he, <laughs> I, I mean, he's just been impressive ever since he was a relief pitcher in the first couple games in there. Like, well, we, we need to make this guy a starter. And just to go from a relief to a starting position and dominate as a starter uh, 12, 13 games in is pretty impressive. Yeah, right? I mean, that's just, yeah, like you said, just for him to have just a poise. I think, Mike, you and I always talked about, um, you know, his poise. That's what I really liked about him, just watching him, the way he attacks hitters, he has his game plan. You know, hey, guess what? If he walks a guy in a close pitch or some guy gets a nice single, then you know what? He's okay going out of the stretch. He's able to redeem himself, you know, kind of find himself, take a deep breath, and then go after it and attack the next guy. How much do you think he's learned from his dad? You know what? I think he has to learn a lot because as a pitcher, coming from a father that was a catcher, and I think Derek, didn't he used to be uh, – he used to play other positions as well, Mike? I think. I mean, obviously all pitchers played other positions, but – um, anyway, uh, for him to watch his father, the way his father handled pitching staffs, um, I mean, I remember the uh, Joshua Willis days, right, where Pudge was, you know, catching those guys, and then Pudge also on the Rangers. I mean, he's really, you know, he dealt with a lot of guys that, you know, were had a, an embarrassment of riches, but also he dealt with some crappy pitchers as well and was able to help, take, you know, make the most out of them and, you know, get them going. So I think Pudge was able to kind of put some of his knowledge into his son whether or not he meant to, you know, whether or not he meant to teach his son, his boy's going to be watching him every game. So he's watching the way his father catches the ball. He's watching the way his father receives the ball. He's watching the way these, you know, catcher or the pitchers shake off or listen to his father. You know what I mean? So he learns all of these things uh, because all of, you know, usually most boys idolize their father, right, regardless of what they do. So for me, you know, my dad was always working out and listening to the police after produce, you know, working produce. So for me, I love produce. I love working out and I love listening to the police. Right? Just stupid things like that, you know, just kind of stick with you. Um, you know, just things like that. So I think Derek Rodriguez having an ability to watch his Hall of Fame father not only win World Series but lead teams uh, with his bat and his gloves, uh, I think that really showed uh, Mr. Young Rodriguez how to approach it, how to have a major league uh, kind of idea, have a, have a major league attitude, excuse me, and when you go about your business. Yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, now, looking at today's lineup, is there anything that, that oh, stands boy. out to you that, that you're just like um, scratch your head and say, why why is this guy in there? Man, partner, you know what? I wanted to say, why would you ask me that? But I actually specifically texted you to ask me that, so I can't even get mad at you. <laughs> but, I mean, the reason the reason I'm not a fan of it, Mike, I really wanted to talk about is that panic is back in the lineup. Um, I know it's messed up. You know, I, I know that, you know, we shouldn't be complaining about it. But, uh, you know, panic playing second base, I mean, even though we're, we're facing a right-handed pitcher in um, D. Sch- how do you say his name? D. Schifiani? Uh, Schif- Schifiani? I don't know. The Italian – Italian cat for the Cincinnati Reds. I should be able to say his name. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, we're facing a right-hander, so you want to see Panic in there. Uh, it just scares me, Mike, because Panic, in my mind, is not a starting caliber player. So for him to be in the lineup when it's crunch time for the Giants and they really need to get their season, you know, saved right here to figure out if we are going to make a push or if we're going to drop some guys before the waiver wire uh, deadline, Um you know, it just kind of bothers me. I, mean, I like, you know, we move, uh, we move Hanson to left field, so that means we put Duggar in center field. Uh, I think we got McCutcheon right again. So, ah, man, it's, you know, could we have moved Hanson to second or second base and maybe put someone else in left field that could provide more of an, uh, you know, a little more bang for your buck? I don't know if Pence is banged up. I don't know what's up with them. Um, but, and also, Mike, another thing I saw is that Bochi is adamant that Panic will get playing time in New York. 
he is a New Yorker. So for him to come home and to play the Mets, who do have a lot of right-handed pitchers, he's going to see a lot of playing time, which also bothers me because that means the next seven games, Panic is going to be batting way too much, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's like the last thing we want. I mean, we already have Longoria not hitting again, and McCutcheon, after that three-run bomb to tie the Dodgers, I decided I, I'll, I'll call McCutcheon for the time being. <laughs> uh, he's earned that a little bit, um, you know, and just the rest of the guys that just – we just can't hit the ball. I mean, we're – we got this great pitching, and we're we're just not scoring any runs. What – uh what do you think we need to do? I mean, are are we – do you think that um, – I know it's kind of hard. We can't really talk trades or, or anything anymore, but I guess the last thing we need to do is put Panic in there, who's even worse than any of our other hitters. I know. And the thing is, too, is that next year is going to be an issue because I believe that we may – we could try to trade him if we think we could upgrade, which I think is the definite yes. Or this is a very unlikely, but he could be tendered and made a free agent. Uh, we just kind of we don't want to take his. I think it's like 5.8 million hit next year. Uh, if you want to take that, uh, because you know the Giants have made a big deal about trying to stand the luxury tax and blah blah blah. You know we even traded Denard Span to for Longoria to get you know a little closer to the luxury tax. Now granted it was more so to get a power bat um, in Longoria, but at the same time you know I feel like Span's been doing so so over there and he could have helped us with our outfield problems. And you know we do have a couple of infielders that we would be able to make work, but. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, so we can't really talk about that too much. But, uh, man, it, it's just tough, Mike. You know, it's just, um, you know, have a platoon, uh, second baseman. You know, it's uh, second base is already a weak-hitting position. So when I see a guy like Hanson, I know he's not great swinging from the right side. He's much better left-handed hitter. Uh, but, man, I, I, his speed and just the, the way that he can change, the you know, the game. And if a right-handed, you know, or sorry, if a right-handed relief pitcher comes in, he's able to stay in there and switch back to his good side on the left side. Uh, you know, just lots of things that, you know, oh, man, I, I'd like to see Hampton get the majority of the starts with Darno uh, kind of working in there on some day games or some, you know, some of the days that were a lefty is pitching. To me, there's no reason Panic should be starting at all. Uh, I I mean, I'm not even – I don't even care about this right-hand, left-hand thing. If he's not going to produce, what's the point of even having him out there at all? And at least Hanson, even though, as you mentioned – his splits aren't aren't as great as far as um, I shouldn't say aren't as great. I should say are they're not great at all. At least he can provide something, um, whether it's a base hit or something dramatic. As uh, with panic, you just he's almost invisible. I mean, you see him out there, but he's not doing anything. Yeah, and you know, like you said, it's uh, it, it just it's invisible. It's hard to see him doing anything. He's kind of a banjo slap hitter, if you will. Um, you know, he, it just seems like you know decades ago where he was the guy that set a record to you know hit the home run off uh, Kershaw and the home run off Jansen for the only runs of back to back one nothing victories to start the season, right? Where the Jags had a bunch of promise. Like, oh, look at us, we got it. You know, besides Bumgarner being hurt, you know, okay. You know, we're two and zero. Here we go. You know, Panic's going to be our RBI leader, but you know, of course, that just cannot be further from the truth. And I think a lot of us saw that coming, uh, the regression. But um, yeah, Mike, I agree. You know, regardless of the splits, I don't care if it's you know a guy that he's just absolutely destroying the ball. But uh, you know, against a certain right-handed hitter, uh, as of late, he hasn't put any force behind any ball. He hasn't put a charge into a line drive at all. Uh, so he's just not really, you know, not really doing the job for me. Yeah. Now, what what about Duggar? What do you, what do you think of him? I mean, um, talking outfield and stuff. What do you think he should get more playing time, or uh, what are we doing with these youngsters that we have, Slater and Duggar, and um, I forget the other guy that we have, the other outfielder. Should they start getting um, playing time, or? Oh man, you know what? I like Duggar just. Speed, you know, obviously speed is one of those things you can't teach. And for some reason, like when you see the Giants, you know, if they can, you know, because they're always trying to scratch out a run, right? They're always trying so hard. Like, dear God, these guys, you know, cannot do anything. So when you get another player like Duggar or like uh, Hanson that's able to run around and, you know, really, you know, do things, uh, you know, really make things, you know, a lot better. 
just uh, make things flow a lot easier for the lineup. You like it a lot, but, oh, man, you know, uh, he, he's young. Uh, he's going to have his ups and downs. Um, so I, I am a little worried about that. Um, and then also, this is kind of weird. Mike, totally off topic for – or not totally off topic, but totally off sports. Uh, Colin Kaepernick taught me that you can have a really good, you know, breakthrough first couple games or, you know, for you know half a season. But if you – start, you know, if, if teams start getting video on you, major leaguers or professional athletes and coaches, they will find a way to start breaking you down. Uh, and they will find a way to start, you know, really taking advantage of your weaknesses. Uh, I'm Duggar, you know, hey, he's batting 262 through 100 at-bats. I really like that. Uh, he has one homer. As you know, he's not really going to be a power dude, and that's totally what we're, we're totally okay with that. Um, but, you know, he, he has, let's see, 15 runs, 27 hits, uh, 8 doubles, so you know, a good portion of his hits are doubles, and I call that, uh, I will say that, you know, I don't like to brag much, but I did say a long, long time ago when we were looking at the Giants' prospects, uh, you know, between Chris Shaw and Duggar, I was saying that, you know, I don't know if Shaw's power numbers would transfer to the uh, Giants' lineup, but I thought that Duggar's doubles would have a chance to transfer. So, um, you know, he is someone, too, that has been fun. Mike, one thing about him, though, he does have 31 strikeouts uh, and only 103 at-bats. So that is something that you want to watch, you know, for a fast guy to have 31 strikeouts and eight walks. Uh, you would like to see him, you know, maybe put the ball in play a little bit more or just take a little more walks. But obviously that's just, you know, him coming up. Uh, you know, it's just him learning the learning everything and kind of getting uh, the hang of things. But I know I, I'm not too disappointed with him overall, Mike. You know, he hasn't been a revelation or anyone crazy like, you know, we were hoping he'd be. But, you know, when you get a guy coming up from a pretty – barren farm system like we have, you know, you got to be happy with any type of uh, positive results you get. Yeah. And yeah, I think he's just so inconsistent that it's hard, but God, every time he's up at the bat, it's it's almost like, is he going to be another Fred Lewis who just looks like a ball player <laughs> and is confident like a ball player, but can't hit like a ball player. And he, he just, I just see, all of that in him, and then it's just like, oh, wow, you know, 260 and no power, and just, is this going to be Fred Lewis all over again? Yeah, and like you said, Mike, for him, I mean, for him to have no power, it's kind of scary, because uh, for him to have, what, one homer and 31 strikeouts, those aren't really, I mean, obviously, he's a top-of-the-order type guy, that you don't really, you know, or, uh, you know, second lead-off type guy, but he's fun like he is tonight, um, but, it's, oh, man, it's just so a little scary. Hey, Mike, I just saw the update. So the Giants aren't going to uh, activate anybody today. So for our 25-man roster, we're only going to have 24. And instead, we're going to reinstate Hunter Strickland tomorrow when he's eligible to come back off the DL from when he uh, punched that stupid, stupid wall for being stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid and letting him give up stupid, stupid hits to the stupid, stupid Marlins. Right? Like, <laughs> Mike, I know you and I, you and I cannot stand this guy sometimes. But another thing, Mike, that I want to ask you about Strickland uh, Henry Schulman, who I really respected the Giants beat writer, he was mentioning that they, uh, Strickland might be a trade candidate for next year. Uh, you know, he's someone that, you know, I think the Giants, I don't know if we have to take him to arbitration. Yeah, we're going to arbitration next year, and he's going to get a lot more expensive. So he, is he a guy that we want to continue paying if he's, you know, making these immature decisions and, you know, has a beef with Bryce Harper that lasts, you know, freaking four-plus years? Like, goodness gracious. Yeah, uh, I, I I think we we're pretty stacked in as relievers go as far as closers. Uh, we have you could rotate. I mean, uh, Melanson. I mean, none of these guys are working out right uh, except for Will Smith. He's the only one that's worked out. We yeah. have. I don't think we've tried Maranta yet. But um, as far as as closers, they're closers. So Melanson and then. Uh, I think Maranta could do the job. Uh, we have Will Smith. We have Ray Black. So where where is uh, Hunter Strickland gonna gonna fit in in among all these other closers? And so with that said, he's sort of expendable and has a, a big name tag to him. So why not tender him and see and and look for. Uh, options, uh, trade lines. You know, speaking of trades, too, I heard that the Giants are looking to trade for Josh Donaldson. I read that. I read an article about that. Oh. They're going to give up. 
McCutcheon and oh, who was it? I, I just got excited because I saw McCutcheon's name on there, but um, I think it was McCutcheon <laughs> and somebody else for Donaldson. Uh, any wow. any financial repercussions for that, or or do you what do you what um, do you think of that that deal? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how much Donaldson. They, I like that trade overall. I mean, obviously, uh, it just it doesn't make sense that uh, for we have to move. Uh, Mr. Uh, Longoria or something, we'd have to figure out uh, something like that. But, uh, man, you know, I, I really would like that. Uh, uh, but we do lose McCutcheon. I don't know. I, I know you're not a huge fan of McCutcheon, but I, I sort of like him. You know, I could kind of handle, you know, he's a little crazy sometimes and all this stuff. But, um, oh, man, that would be uh, that would be uh, something you know fun to watch. Donald's get Donaldson back in the Bay Area. He's such a quirky type guy. He's really fun to watch. Uh, you know, he's really one of those guys that'd be fun. I also like. I heard that uh, Matt Harvey might be a potential person that just trades and like switches clubhouses today or in this series against the Reds. Uh, I don't know. You know, if you know much about Harvey, or I'm sure all of us you know a lot about Harvey, but. You know, I, I don't know how you feel about Harvey this year. I meant to say, um, would that be something that you would also be cool with, you know, getting another power right-handed arm? Yeah, you know, someone like Harvey, who's who's obviously done it before, is is always some intriguing. You know, sometimes these players just need a, a different environment or a different uh, stage to work off of. And if – why not? Why not give someone like Harvey a chance and see what he can do? Now, I wouldn't – sign him to anything more than probably a veteran minimum, but it's it's still an opportunity to put someone in there who who I was an all star and and just outstanding. Uh so yeah, I I would definitely be open to, to something like that. And Mike, I just looked right now, so I was looking at the Giants uh, cap situation because you brought up some good points with money. So I guess we are literally three hundred thousand dollars underneath the luxury tax threshold of 197 million. So that means that we're at 196 plus. So we're sitting there. We have no room. That's not enough to cover a handful of September call-ups or any injuries that pop up between now and then. You know, we have to bring guys up or send them down and still pay them. Uh, so that's why I think. Okay, so that's why McCutcheon would be a good um, a good trade option. That's smart. So yeah, he's making 14.75 million this year, and that's 79,000 per day against the luxury tax payroll. So if we can get rid of McCutcheon, you know, we could really save ourselves a little bit of money and obviously, you know, get our younger guys some more time. Ah, oh, man, I think we just acted too late. And not that we've acted at all, but we just, you know, we didn't, we didn't seize our opportunity to trade Bumgarner, to trade Will Smith, to trade Tony Watson if needed, to trade, you know, guys like that that we really could have traded and set us up for 2020 and 2021, you know, when we'd be realistically back to, you know, back to being a good team. Uh, and, the the other guy that I was mentioning was Derek Holland. So they would uh, combine okay. McCutcheon and Holland for for Donaldson. Let's just say that happens. They trade both McCutcheon and, and Holland for Donaldson. Where I, I would assume Donaldson would play third base. So where would Longoria play? Yeah, that's a, that's a very strange question. Would you would you even dare 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 to ask one of those guys to learn how to play first base? Moving to first base and have Belt move to left field, like is that even worth it? I mean, that's where you kind of get creative and have to really start thinking, you know, like because you know, we don't have a DH, so it's not like you know if we're gonna get rid of McCutcheon. You know, A is gonna put a huge hole in the outfield, and B is gonna give us an, a surplus of corner infielders, which is you know those aren't really the most mobile guys that you like to move around too much. It's not like an interchangeable shortstop we could put him at second base or vice versa, second base to shortstop. So, man. Yeah, exactly. So that that was my first my first thought was, okay, now you have two two third basemen that only play third base. So what do you, I mean? I don't know. I it, it it really and then like you mentioned that I didn't even think of is is what do we do in right field and who plays right field? So um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, then I, that might be more important than who who plays third base. So, yeah, I I don't know what that's that's kind of hard for me to think about um, that trade happening at all. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, it's kind of 
tough to see that happening. But I don't know. You know, it's all over the place. There's, you know, definitely, um, there's definite possibilities because a lot of things are going to happen in the next couple of weeks where certain teams are going to be, okay, we're all out. And certain teams are, okay, we're all in. Because, you know, in this day and age, if you're able to make a playoff push, the revenue that you can make from hosting just one or two playoff games is massive. You know what I mean? I mean, this is another random off sports thing, but I think a couple of years ago, the Warriors, or maybe it was last year or two years ago, I don't know. It was something where the Warriors were going to win in five, and because they weren't going to be able to have those last two games back in Oakland, it was going to cost them something like $10 million per day. You know, they're like, man, we could have paid Steph Curry's contract basically with one, you know, game six. So it seems like that. I know it sounds crazy, but if you know, if these general managers are sniffing the possibility of hosting postseason baseball, not only does that generate you know excitement and make them look better as a general manager, it also gets the revenue going for the bosses and the head honchos that are making the decisions. So I think a lot of teams this year are going to be extremely aggressive at the waiver um, deadline, you know, at the end of August, which is usually not too. I mean, it's happened before, right? Adrian Gonzalez got sent to the Dodgers, I believe, from the Red Sox. And then um, Justin Verlander, you know, was way past the deal, and he sent, he got sent to the Astros, and he, you know, signed, you know, right at the last minute. So a lot of these things, you know, it shows that, you know, there's very big contenders that make moves, you know, for big players at the end of the wave of the wire. But at the same time, you know, you need to be uh, realistic and see, you know, try to see what's going to happen. Yeah. And speaking, speaking of outfield, what did you think of the Gorky's Hernandez throw? Oh, my goodness. Did he get behind that throw? What? I mean, his footwork there, Mike, was fantastic. He had beautiful footwork. Uh, he was able to get the ball up high. He was able to, you know, throw it straight. Because a lot of times if you have it below the shoulder or even below the ear, kind of, you know, your elbow's going to kind of tail. So for him to throw, it's an absolute strike to Posey's glove. Because when the ball is hit, I'm thinking RBI. Right? I'm like, oh, man, there's an RBI, yeah. right? There's no way. It's a perfect throw and a perfect bat, tag, and a perfect placement of the throw. So not only was the throw right to Posey's glove, but it was, you know, still a little up of the line, so he's able to put that tag down right away as the guy was diving headfirst, you know, towards that front corner of the base. Yeah. I, that was that was probably one of my favorite plays uh, from the Giants all season long was watching that, oh, absolutely. that play. Absolutely. I, and then I still don't even know how that umpire missed that. I mean, it, it, I, I I thought he was out from the very beginning it, before even watching the replay. It, it didn't look all that close, and, and it really wasn't all that close. Yeah, and you know what, Mike? The funny thing is, too, is that this, you know, I, I really like this whole, um, what's it called, the whole ability to review and everything, but it really takes away from a lot of the fun. You know what I mean? Like, that play was a beautiful play. It's action played, and I think the umpire – called him safe just to appease, maybe to appease the home crowd or whatnot, knowing that he had an out, you know, an, uh, he had a little, you know, out option if he wanted, if they wanted to review it. And sure enough, they review it. And, you know, Mike, this is, this is really tough because, you know, we like, we like the whole, or I say, I like the whole human aspect of the umpire thing, but I'm starting to think these umpires should get fined for all the times they get wrong. You know what I mean? They should start thinking and they should start having repercussions for, hey, man, if you get a lot of these calls wrong, I mean, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to get fined you know, a little bit so you stop making these calls because I feel like a lot of these umpires nowadays are just kind of making these calls for the home team. And I, I could be totally wrong and talking out of my ass, but it seems that they sometimes lean towards making a call to the home team knowing that there's a good possibility that if the visiting team overrules it, that the home crowd can't boo them. The home crowd can boo, what, New York? You know, freaking way up there in some upstate, you know, New York area uh, or wherever they do their uh, – upstate, wherever they do the replays. Right. Yeah, exactly. In New York and, you know, and what happens if if something happens where there's no relay or I think that's even happened where the system got shut down for whatever reason and they, they couldn't do a replay. So if they're going to be that lazy or lackadaisical on some plays, they're taking a big chance of, of ruining a game just because they they don't get in position quick enough. To, to make that call because they feel that even if they get it wrong, they can rely on replay. Yeah, exactly. So, oh man, I mean, but at the same time, you like the human aspect of it, right? So, oh, it's tough, but at the same time, you know, it really, it really does grind my gears. 
you know, seeing these multiple plays or all these plays, it looks like the umpire kind of has a uh, easy out. Uh, no pun intended on the out call. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. Um. So, what is is that? Has there anything that stood out to you in the last couple of weeks that that you find um, promising or disappointing? Um. I would say it's just the way that we consistently get back to neutral. Uh, and that's not, I don't know, that's kind of a crappy answer to your question, huh? Because nothing's fun or, you know, disappointing, but it's just neutral. Uh, it's just, you know, it might, we have these, you know, heartbreaking games against the Astros, but then we are able to take two out of three against the Dodgers. You know, we get our ass kicked one game against the Pirates, and we come back and we squeak out a victory the next day. And then we lose another close game, and then we squeak out another one the next day. And it's just like, it's just constant movement to get nowhere. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> it's messed up, but you know like those little hyper kids that the parents take them to Disneyland, and they got the monkey backpack with the leash? It's kind of like those little kids, like they're, running, they're running in place, but the parents haven't moved their arms. You know what I mean? They could go right. right, they could go left, you know, they could jump behind, they could go tangle the leash around the parent's leg, but in the end, the parent's hand hasn't really moved far from their hip. And for me, that's the right. giant season. You know, we've been, we've been rocking the seesaw or rocking this boat back and forth, but in the end, you know, we haven't changed the longitude, latitude, whatever the hell they use for boat stuff. <laughs> we haven't moved at all, you know what I mean? Like, we've, you and I have been talking for freaking months about, like, dude, this is a 500 team, and we need to make changes to sell and change that, or we need to make changes to bolster it and be above 500. And we have done none of the above, and now we're just stuck with a very high payroll and a pretty, you know, aging team that doesn't look like they're going to be able to pull off the – I think right now we have, like, four point, a 4.2 chance of making the playoffs, according to the fans or the odds graph or fans graph, whatever the hell it is. So I'm not a mathematician, right, but it's, it's you know, 95.2% chance that you're not going to make the playoffs. You're probably not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um one other player I wanted to talk about too is is Chase Darnode. What what about him optioning at second base? What are your thoughts? You on know what? I, I like him. I mean, I I, I hate I you know, I'm trying to look this. I hate the platoon. I hate the idea of the platoon. Uh, really drives me crazy because a lot of these guys aren't getting uh, consistent playing time. And they're not being able to show or you know get the. You know, baseball is all about consistency, right? If you're able to be consistent, if you're able to make moves and you know continually. Uh, make adjustments in the batter's box or see a certain relief pitcher multiple times in a row, you know, you're going to have that opportunity to get a big hit in the eighth inning, you know, in the third game of the series or just different things like that. So, uh, for Darnold, I really like him uh, and I like the professional approach he has because a lot of the times when he's playing, you know, he's not really going to get a lot of ABs. You know, he knows that, you know, hey, man, I'm not really, you know, if I do start today, it's not really, you know, we have two other, le- you know, second basemen that are lefties and that we really, you know, coach these things to like. So he he knows you know, he has to be realistic about his opportunities and what he's doing over there. So um, I, I like him though. I mean the way he has the the power approach. You know what I mean? He has the very uh, quick hands. He does sometimes get caught up um, taking these just gigantic mammoth swings uh, that I would see like to you know, would like to see a little bit toned down. But at the same time, you know the guy gets the major leagues because of who they are. So you know if he's taught to have this huge swing with a bunch of power, you know, uh, hoping opportunities, then, okay, then that's kind of the swing that he needs to have, the high leg kick and, you know, getting the arms going, getting that launch angle with his left elbow, right, you know, going drastically, kind of like a Brandon Belt swing where they just swing straight up. Um, you know, I, I like him. Um, Defensive-wise, Mike, I haven't seen a ton of plays from him that wow me or, you know, don't or unwow me, <laughs> as you could say, I guess. So, uh, you know, that's another thing uh, in baseball. If, you know, on defense, if you can be at least adequate and not be noticed for bad reasons, then you're doing a good job. Um, kind of like umpires, right? You want to be unnoticed. <laughs> um, so that, you know, I'm definitely uh, – I definitely am looking forward to him, you know, doing that. So do you have any feelings or thoughts, Mike, on Darnold? Um You know, I know you and I talked about him. You know, we kind of talked about how we don't like panic. So I'm thinking that there should be a little bit of hope and, you know, optimism um, optimism on your end when it comes to our friends, Mr. Dunham. Yeah, and absolutely. And I've I've liked him for quite a while now, the last couple seasons. And then this year, of course, he was named to the Futures team. And even though he didn't participate, it's still a a nod to what he can do as as a ball player and, 
it, it, it just it doesn't seem like he's slowing down as far as a as a MLB athlete either. It seems like he he's naturally come in and and played the game well. Now, when you have you know multiple players at a position, of course you're going to get platooned out. But I see a lot of future in him as well, and it, it's going to be difficult to see what what's going to happen as far as next year is concerned. Does Darno? Uh, play second base and Hanson play shortstop. I mean, what you know? What are they going to do with with this with this lineup? Especially considering you have all these other players that that are young, and I, I'd like to see more of. I'd like to see all these guys get a start next year and become part of the starting lineup. And yeah. you know, what if you if you were I, this might be a a little stretch, but um, starting in left field, let, let's say 2019 uh, San Francisco Giants, who's your left fielder? My left fielder for 2019. This is going to sound crazy, but this is a total Giants move that I don't really agree with, but it would happen and I wouldn't be too mad at that. Ryan Braun. Ooh. Mr. Ryan yeah. Braun. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see the Giants adding Braun to have, like, the – isn't he, like, kind of like the uh, – I guess he had a steroid, so you can't call him, like, a Longoria in the outfield. But he's totally, like, a Longoria in the outfield, right? He is the Brewers – you know, the face of the Brewers franchise. He's a total right-handed, you know, left-side dude that, you know, he's going to give you some good power, some good numbers, but definitely declining a lot. And we can be had a little bit more on the cheap, but the Giants would still overpay for him. That just sounds like 100% something the Giants would do. <laughs> Totally, totally, and and out pay everybody by you know ten fifteen million dollars just to bring him in and yeah yeah. But then uh, they'll trade you know they'll so, trade some good guy to like save you know two million dollars and we're just like what? Yeah exactly. What? Exactly. What? Exactly. Why? <laughs> so and then now center and left, who do you see? Um, man, I want to see one of our young guys continue to play in center. So whether that means Gorky's, you know, continues uh, to figure it out in this offseason. I mean, we've seen how much he's improved from last offseason, right? I mean, obviously, he did have, he broke his hand and bone, so that was a big deal, not hitting, uh, hitting without a hand and bone. But we saw how much, you know, he uh, improved this past offseason. So I'm really thinking that if he can get another offseason with even more confidence and a little bit more of the stroke he found, you know, maybe next year he could be, you know, our catalyst. And he's, you know, he's a – Kind of Andres Torres, Angel Pagan, center fielder, where he's, you know, the guy that we need at the top of the order that can, you know, every once in a while run into a home run, but most of the time is going to give you solid defense and, you know, work his way on base and hit maybe 260, 270. Can you, you know, could you, could you live with that, Mike? I know that's, that's not the greatest uh, batting average for a leadoff hitter, but if Corkus could give us, you know, 265, 270 next year with the, you know, mid threes on base percentage, I wouldn't be too upset about that. No, not at all. I, I think that – and he could bat up and down that order and give Giants a great defensive center fielder, maybe not all-star caliber, but he could cover the ground very well. Uh, yeah, I would, I would be totally happy with a 270, 265 hitter. Yeah. And, Mike, another thing I want to call out, too, so I, while I'm out here making crazy predictions, I still want to see Brandon Belt in left field. Um, I don't believe Posey's best suited to be behind the dish. Uh, there's just countless times where I see Posey running, you know, freaking one mile per hour to first base. And I understand that he's trying to save his body. But, dude, like, there was a close play a couple nights ago. I guess it was, it was the Dodgers, those extra innings, where he hits the ball. It was like a tough play. And the first baseman, whoever threw the ball to the first baseman, pulled him off the base. And the first baseman had to jump off, but then he just got Posey out in time. And Posey, I swear to God, yeah. he was running probably 45%. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't even remotely yeah. trying. And it's just like, dude, like, I understand, man. Like, I get it. You're tired. It's a long-ass season. You have this catcher's legs. You know what I mean? But, oh, man, you know, it's kind of uh, kind of disappointing. And then, Mike, uh, this is something I don't want to really say. It's kind of, you know, going to hurt our, our fans and our their feelings, but – from what I've heard recently, I've heard some inside reports from – I have some buddies that know buddies that know buddies, so basically a bunch of nothing. But there are a lot of insider grumblings that Buster Posey is not the nicest guy in the world. Uh, so, you know, I do I do notice that sometimes. He does have like a selfish way about his play. Uh, you know, he's very quiet, so you can't call him brash and arrogant like he would have Bryce Harper. But 
Posey does some things, you know, sometimes, you know, taking off the all-star game, um, you know, never running hard on the ground ball, just little things that, you know, yes, you've won three World Series, yes, you're going to be a Hall of Famer, you know, you're one of the best catchers of our generation, but at the same time, like, dude, you know what I mean? Like, these little kids idolize you and look up to you, you know, I'd hope to see a little more hustle or a little more effort or, I don't know. It, it, it just it just seems like he's kind of gotten more material over the years. And from what I've heard, the reports are that his teammates have noticed that as well, but they're not uh, as huge as a fan of Posey as everybody else seems to be. Well, right. And if, if he's dogging it to first, which I've seen, I don't know how many different times, where it's just like he's halfway up the, the line and the – that's been a slow ground ball to shortstop, and the shortstop has bobbled it and dropped it ten times and flipped it to the air and to himself and then finally thrown it to first base. Right. And he, he's halfway down the line. And it's just like, um, how, how are you only halfway down the line? I'm the slow – I'm telling you right now, I am the slow as, – as, as fast as you are, I'm as slow as I am. And um, – <laughs> I could beat Posey down to down first base. Uh, I, you know, right. it's just My that's how that's gracious. how slow he is. It's it's just ridiculous. I think we made a joke, partner. You and I were talking about like you know Benji Molina. You know, I don't know why I brought this name up, but Benji. You know, before we had Posey and when you know Benji Molina was our four hitter and the you know kind of like the joke of the Giants being terrible at the time. It was like, dude, Benji running to first base. You're like, dear God, like unhitch the trailer. Like I don't know, like. He has, like, 14, you know, freaking, you know, pound weights in his leg. I don't know why I think 14, but you get the point. Like, you're just like, what incarnation? Like, this guy is not even remotely close to first base. And now you have Posey, and you're almost like, damn, like, you know, Benjamin Lady could move it. Like, yeah, homeboy, yeah. homeboy has some wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Benji's fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and there was a time where Posey was actually not – not slow. He he actually had a little bit of speed for a catcher. Now, now he's just he doesn't care or doesn't want to or whatever his his problem is. But it's yeah. I think it's definitely time to get him. It's hard too because God, he's such a great catcher and works the I know. the framing and the pitchers and this just right. Oh. But at the same time, you know, for our best hitter to be having, you know, what, freaking, you know, averaging five to ten home runs a year, it's just so we gotta we gotta give him more opportunity, we gotta give him more of a chance to get his legs into the ball and have any type of strength left. But you know, once once the all star break passes, because that's usually where he hits it. It's the all star break for him. It's the all star break, and he's just done. It's just like yeah, no power numbers afterwards. He's always tired. And he's and he's like he he doesn't have any power numbers prior to the All Star break, so yeah yeah I was say, that didn't help this year either. Huh? Yeah, nothing nothing whatsoever. So yeah, I mean like oh man, I mean and he had some big homers like in the playoffs. You know, there's always moments where you think you know he had the game tying homer against uh, the Tigers in Game Four. He has a um, go you know the the proved to be game winner against Matt Latos in Game Five against the Reds in that awesome series in 2012. You know, so there's oh, little wow. things like that. You're like, okay, dude, like, I definitely, you know, I definitely remember Posey having power past the All-Star break, but it just seems like, you know, very few and far between, you know, it's just like, man, we really, really need that guy to hit, you know, for hit a double at least or something, you know, and it's just like Posey rolls over another ground ball and it's not going to win the first base. Now, I, you know, for all your listeners, I, I don't want to think I'm dogging Posey. I love Posey. I think he's awesome, you know, as a baseball player for what he's done for the city of San Francisco and how he's brought back the championship culture uh, to our San Francisco faithful. I got to witness the 49ers. Uh, I think he's done a great job. But, but with that being said, you know, as a picky and kind of, you know, snarky fan watching my team give tons of money to these players that are aging and not performing as they used to, uh, it is a little frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, I, I think he, you know, we, we all want our players to do well. We don't want them – to be dogging stuff, and you know, we and we, we we realize how great Buster Posey is, but it's also good to say, hey, you know what? We don't appreciate this. We don't we don't want you to to walk, you know, basically walk down the first baseline. We want you to do, you know, more than that. And we, you know, the Giants pay him uh, to do more than that, and we and we pay him to do more than that. That's 
price of tickets and everything exactly. else and, and jersey sales and all that kind of stuff. So um, there's nothing wrong with demanding more, especially when we there's more to be demanded. And so I totally, you know, we only have yeah, five and, minutes left. And, and uh, I was going to ask you, did you did you see the bond ceremony? Yeah. Well, actually, really quick. So speaking of Bob's Godfather partner, so you said something hella funny. You said something. You said, uh, "Say hey," uh, and that just totally reminded me. Willie Mays. We want to congratulate him. So 60 uh, this day in 1966, Willie Mays hit number 535 in his home runs, and he passed Jimmy Fox, Mr. Double X, for the most home runs by a righty at the time. So Willie Mays became the uh, most the home run leader for right-handed hitters 60, in 1966 on this day. But Speaking of his wow. godson, the ceremony. Yes. Um. You know what? I thought it was. Uh. I thought. Uh. You know what? I'll be honest, Mike. I didn't watch it. It hurts my feelings. Oh, I was. I was gonna say like I watched my little highlight from it. And I was gonna try to like talk uh-huh. about that, but Mike, everything Barry Bonds hurts my feelings. I can't handle it. It brings me back to when I was a freaking fourth grader and I was crying and you know riding on the San Francisco Chronicle and drawing the devil horns on Victor Conti and the Balco guys. I just can't <laughs> handle anything Bonds. But it's hilarious. He was my favorite player. I loved him. I think he deserves to be in the Hall. Uh, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame in due time when new voters start to get around. But at the same time, I just like I can't handle it because there was so much hardship after Barry Bonds left, and so much crap and grief that I got from other fans that you know it wasn't it wasn't like it was you know very ill natured. But at the same time, everyone hated Barry. So all my friends from San Diego, all my friends from LA, all my friends from different areas, they would always talk trash on me. So I kind of just grew accustomed that when I heard Barry Bonds, I tuned out. So it's hard for me to re, uh, you know, regenerate that, uh, the love and the, you know, the addiction I had to cheering on Barry. But I'm sure you, uh, did you watch the, uh, were you able to watch it, partner, the ceremony? I'm, I heard it was fantastic. Yeah, it was. I, I, I didn't watch it live. I, I caught it on YouTube and uh, it, it was, it was pretty fantastic. They, they really did a great job uh with with the whole thing brought in players that uh i haven't seen in forever or didn't just completely forgot about like royce clayton and that's how i oh, that's wow. how i got fred lewis <laughs> fred lewis because he was there um i don't even know why oh, okay. i guess I'm because they where you got that from. yeah <laughs> um yeah totally and um they they it, Surprisingly, which which I thought was pretty funny was, um, as you probably remember the the uh, Eric Gagne Barry Bonds face off. Yes. Bonds launched the the home run deep center field, so they brought Eric Gagne um, onto onto the as a guest as well, which which oh, awesome. was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, he played he played it up to the crowd and. Um, the crowd started chanting, "We hate LA," and and yeah, it was oh, it was pretty cool. That's some good stuff right there. Yeah, so you know, one of the one of the baseball greats that's going to be one of those tricky topics to navigate. You know, when we have to tell the future generations that never even you know saw Barry play. Um, you know, just a whole whole other world. You know, what I mean, I'm coaching kids that have never even seen Bonds play or never even really heard of Bonds because of you know the way things are now. So it's it's weird. It's definitely it's a weird kind of bittersweet. You know, I'm happy the Giants won the World Series so we could move on past it. But at the same time, I feel like we're brushing too much greatness under the rug because he was taking something that other people were taking as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, that's one of the most frustrating things is the fact that he isn't in the Hall of Fame and other players that that have, you know, and we know the CEDs are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike Piazza being one. And yes. okay, so how how is Mike Piazza in the in in the Hall of Fame and Barry Bonds isn't doesn't make any sense to whatsoever. Yeah, I mean maybe it's Piazza playing the crowd more. The uh, the reporters loving him, you know, from his New York and his uh, L.A. days, you know, being coast to coast and hitting a, one of the biggest home runs in New York history right after 9/11 against the Braves. I mean, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, factors that I agree with you, Mike, that aren't, aren't really fair to Barry. But um, as Mufasa said to Simba, life's not fair. It's a tough, yeah. It is. <laughs> it is what it is, right? But man, it's tough for Barry Bond's disciples, like you know myself, and I, I know you love them too. So 
just to see, uh, you know, just the, the awkwardness, I think, of the situation uh, really puts a little uh, overcast on you know, everything because he's definitely one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player to ever play. Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So that'll that'll do it for us. Um, you can find me uh, at RFL Red Zone. Uh, Nico, where can they find you? You can find me at Nico Sigona, so N-E-I-K-O-S-I-G-O-N-A. Uh, we're getting going here. I'm going to be much more active on my Twitter now. we got fantasy football coming up as well, Mike. You and I are in our league, so I am super, super stoked about everything sports. we got playoff baseball push coming up too, so everything's going to be a ton of fun. Cannot wait. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying this uh, fantasy league, and I'm totally jealous that you stole uh, Michael Thomas. Um, that 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 oh, might no. be the best thing. I had, this I, had, I had to man with that Sean Payton, that Sean Payton offense. You got Drew Brees thrown to him. I really like what they're gonna do. You know, a lot of teams will be zoning in on Kamara and Ingram when he comes back from his four game suspension. So I really do think the the Saints had a chance to do some big things this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe we'll we'll talk a little uh, fantasy football uh, next week, especially if the Giants are doing as well as we, <laughs> we hope hope, do, hope they're doing. So yeah, totally. Well. <laughs> uh, so that'll do it for us. Uh, thank you, Nico, for for being the the partner that you are, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I hope everybody else right, out there you. has a great day and weekend.